Well, I'm going to ask you to join me in standing now as we look into God's Word this morning. It's been a busy morning, and uh, we want to uh, maintain an attitude of worship as we hear what the Lord has to say to us from His Word this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so grateful for who you are, for what you do. Father, we thank you that uh, you love us immeasurably and that you care for us. And Father, our desire is to know you better uh, so that we might love you more deeply and serve you more effectively. But Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to be attentive to your word, that we'd be sensitive to whatever it is you might want to say to us, that we'd be honest with ourselves in assessing uh, different areas of our life that you bring to our attention this morning. And that, Father, we'd maintain an attitude of worship as we respond in a way that's pleasing to you. So, Father, again, we thank you for the time that we can be together and just pray that you would use your word in a transformative way in our lives this morning. That we might not leave this room uh, exactly the same as we came in. And we'll give you great thanks for all we know you will do in and then through us in Christ's matchless name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, have you ever had one of those days or weeks when things just really didn't go your way? Um, Probably I'm the only one that ever experiences life in that way. But I have had those times when things just didn't go my way. In fact, there have been times I thought a whole year was when things weren't going my way. But I particularly had one of those experiences several years ago when our family went on vacation We took our four kids and we were going to go up to Washington State to see all of our family. And a couple in the church was uh, nice enough to lend us, I mean, completely free of charge, lend us a 40 foot motorhome. And it was just wonderful with four kids. I mean, we could lock them in the back, you know, and, and not even hardly hear from them. And they could scratch each other's eyes out and all that. And it didn't even bother us, you know. Now, the problem was I had never driven a 40 foot motorhome before. And it's not like driving, uh, you know, a car. Uh, they're quite a handful. And uh, we had some interesting experiences. In fact, instead of the leisurely, relaxing, restful trip that we were all anticipating, uh, you could have more appropriately called it the Murphy family goes north because everything that possibly could go wrong, apart from death, uh, did go wrong on that trip. We were gone no more than a day. We parked in a, the first little camping place with the motorhome the very first night. And I noticed that at the foot of the master bed, it was just absolutely sopping wet. There was a leak somewhere. And being Mr. Handyman, I uh, got underneath the, the bed and saw that there was this leak. And so a very simple task of trying to tighten this fitting, I completely stripped it. And water just gushed out all night until the tank was empty and the entire floor just sopping, sopping wet. Well, after about four or five hours the next morning, getting that all cleaned up and finally fixed, we were on the road. About six hours down the road, uh, we had a flat tire. Now, if you know anything about these motorhomes, they've got two tires on each side in the back, dualies. Well, this happened to be a flat tire on the inside rear tire. And lo and behold, they had forgotten to put the jack uh, in the motorhome, like you're going to jack up a motorhome anyways and change a tire on the side of the road. We were 17 miles from the nearest services on a Sunday. And so after about seven, eight hours, about $200 lighter, we finally got that fixed 
and we were on the road again, having a wonderful time, by the way. And just Sue and I were just enjoying the conversation. And uh, well, that was not to be the end of our little vacation trip, because on the rest of the trip, we had three more flat tires. Guess what? All of them on the rear inside. Three flat tires. That wasn't bad enough um, on the way home. Of course, while we were in Spokane, we parked the motor home and just prayed that nothing would happen to it. On the, on the way home, we stopped at a KOA campground, had a wonderful time with the kids singing around the campfire and stuff. But in the morning, when we left, we were leaving really early in this KOA campground on the Oregon coast. And as we were driving through these little kind of like almost logging roads, I heard this unbelievable screeching and tearing of metal like, I, what was that? And I looked in the rearview mirror on the side, and there were the stairs of the motorhome <laughs> sitting in the road. We had hit a stump and that caught the stairs and ripped them completely off the motorhome. Of course, I'm not going to tell you who left the stairs out. She'll never admit it. But anyways, <laughs> she's not she's not in this service. So uh, but we had some nice conversation about that. I got out. Just in total shock, picked up the stairs and put them in the back of the, the motorhome. And as I did, you, you, you could see the road through where the, the stairs came teared off. And so I was just beside myself. Uh, later that day, going down the coast highway in a 40-foot motorhome with a little wind blowing, I hit a guardrail. <laughs> I hit the guardrail about the height of all of the running lights, ripping them all off, leaving a gash all down the motorhome. I thought I was going to have to buy the motorhome by the time we went. When I got home and gave it back to our friend, Sue, Sue refused to go with me. I'm not going. And when I pulled up in the driveway, Dan came out, took a look at his motorhome and started crying. And I thought, oh, Lord, please, you know. Well, he was crying because he was so upset we had such a terrible time. But I thought he was crying because we had ruined his retirement vehicle. And uh, but it was just one of those weeks when things were not going my way. By the way, now we leave on vacation next Saturday and are in need of transport. If anyone has any. uh, (laughs) You have any leads for me? But I got to admit, when things don't go my way like that, I'm not necessarily a fun person to be around. I know you think I probably just pray and, you know, meditate and, you know, because I'm so spiritual and all, but uh, I don't. I sometimes get angry and say things I shouldn't say. And of course, it's generally Sue's fault. And so I let her know that, you know, and and you know how that works. Uh, But I'm not always a great kind of guy when things don't go my way. Well, what about you? How do you handle life when things aren't going your way? When you have one of those days or one of those weeks or maybe one of those months, it feels like when it seems like everything is conspiring against you, everyone is getting their way except you. How do you handle that? You see, I'm convinced that nothing can pull us off our spiritual course more quickly than inappropriate, ungodly responses when things don't go our way. Because oftentimes it leads to kind of a downward spiral. We begin responding negatively and then we continue to dig this hole for ourselves. And oftentimes it it takes us an awful lot longer to recover our mood than it did to get us into that kind of inappropriate response. Well, this morning, as we look at Jonah once again, 
I think we can learn some valuable lessons about how not to respond when things don't go our way. I think we can, from Jonah, see a very negative example that we don't want to emulate and that we want to avoid. And so this morning, I want us to learn from Jonah's negative example how we shouldn't respond when things don't go our way. And so I want you to turn with me this morning to Jonah chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And listen, follow along as I read these four verses. It says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predict will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, in these four short verses, I think we can find three, uh, three negative responses that we want to avoid. Three responses that we don't want to have when things aren't going our way. And it's really not all that easy to avoid these responses. But if we can avoid them, I think we can learn from the, the incidents that take place uh, that challenge us a little bit rather than just allowing them to control us and, and cause us to respond in any inappropriate way. So the first response that I think we need to avoid and guard against is we need to guard against anger when things don't go our way. I think that's generally our first, most natural response is to just become angry and frustrated and very often to take it out on people around us. Now, I want us to remember the context of verse one here. The context of these verses is that Jonah has finally responded positively to God and finally obeyed the command that he disobeyed the first time. He went to Nineveh, and we remember it wasn't all that exciting. He wasn't all that passionate about sharing the message God had given him, but he did it anyways. He was faithful to say, if you don't repent in 40 days, God is going to destroy you as a city. And he did what God called him to do. Now the problem is God didn't wipe them out. God didn't destroy them. And that made Jonah incredibly angry. Look at here at verse 1. Look back at chapter 3. Verse 10, the very last verse in chapter 3. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, that's the Ninevites, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. Interesting, this change of plans. Jonah went to Nineveh and obeyed God almost in the back of his mind, knowing and counting on the fact that God would wipe them all out. And when God didn't wipe them out, Jonah saw that as a change of plan. That wasn't his plan, you see. I think God all along had planned to, to rescue these people, but it wasn't in Jonah's plan. Things were not going according to the plan he had in mind. And when it didn't, he became incredibly angry. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used there for angry literally means evil. 
Jonah became so angry and so expressive with his anger, it was as if he was transformed into evil personified. That's how upset and angry he was at God. Now, what in the world would cause a prophet of God to become so angry when God rescues all of these thousands, hundreds of thousands of people? I mean, after all, you would think as a prophet of God, that's kind of what he would want. But he didn't. And why is that? It's because Jonah's prophecy didn't come true. Jonah went there saying, repent or in 40 days you're going to be wiped out. And remember, Jonah hated these people. He hated the Assyrians and the Ninevites. They were arch enemies of Israel and he desperately wanted God to wipe them out. And when he didn't get his way, he became very angry with God. Now, it's interesting. Some commentators say that the reason he became so angry was it was really all about a self-image thing with Jonah. You see, if his if his prophecy did come true, then everyone would know he was a great prophet. You know, I said that God's going to wipe you out. And sure enough, he wiped you out. And I am a great prophet. I'm a major prophet, not just a minor prophet. You know. But that's not what happened. And he was afraid that if his prophecy didn't come true, then he might be seen as a false prophet or an ineffective prophet. And so Jonah, because of his own self-image and issues, became very, very angry when things didn't go his way. Now, let me ask you and try to respond honestly. In fact, you probably just need to turn and talk to your spouse or your partner or your kids or somebody that's with you that knows you real well to answer the question. Do you ever get angry when things don't go your way? Do you ever throw a little hissy fit? Ever get really mad and slam doors and slam cupboards? And I see an awful lot of elbows moving around. I know you just want to stretch a little bit. But it's very, very easy for us to respond that way. Now, have you ever thought to yourself, why do we get so angry when things don't go our way? I mean... When we make a suggestion for how a certain situation at work or at church should be handled and people don't follow our advice and they don't follow our plan, we get angry. When things at work don't go the way we think they should go, when we don't get the raise that we feel we deserve, when we don't get the promotion and someone else with less seniority gets it, we get angry and frustrated and start bad-mouthing the management and all of this kind of stuff. When things at home don't go the way we think they should we sometimes get angry. Have you ever asked yourself, why is that? Why do we so often get so incredibly angry about what oftentimes are very silly, petty things that really don't matter a whole lot in the scheme of eternity? Well, I think there's four primary reasons I'd like to suggest that we often get angry when things don't go our way. And the first one is because we are at root very selfish people. Wouldn't you admit that? At root, we are very selfish people. We want what we want, how we want it, when we want it. And I, I really believe if the truth were known, most of us would always choose our way instead of somebody else's way. We would always choose what's best for us instead of what's best for them if, if we could always just have our way. We're at root just selfish people. And that's why we get angry when things don't go our way. I think the second reason is... It's because I think we always prefer our will, oftentimes, over God's will. Now, we say we always want God's will, but I think in the back of our minds, it's I want God's will as long as it lines up with my will. 
But if it doesn't line up with my, my will, we get angry and frustrated and sometimes end up taking it out on others. You know, when we're trying to move and selling our house and the house doesn't sell as quickly as we think it should, that couldn't possibly be God's will, could it? Because our will is that the house be sold for this amount of money. Have we ever stopped to consider that maybe, just maybe, it's God's will that the house not sell? Maybe God's trying to direct you or redirect you through the failure of that house to sell. When you don't get the promotion, when you don't get the raise and someone else gives it, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe, just maybe, that's God's will? But you see, because we so desperately want our will, oftentimes even to the exclusion of God's will, we never even open ourselves up to those possibilities, just like Jonah. And we become angry instead of really stopping to consider, you know what? Maybe that's God's will. And maybe God is trying to communicate to me. Maybe God is trying to mature me, develop my character, develop my patience, my empathy, whatever it is. But I think oftentimes because we're selfish and that leads directly to us wanting our will opposed to anyone else's will, even God's will at times, at times. But then, then I think there's a third reason, and that's because of pride. I think oftentimes we get angry when things don't go our way because of pride. For example, when we do make a suggestion or we have an idea and it's not taken... We often become angry because how could my idea not be the best possible idea? I mean, look at me. I'm intelligent. I'm, you know, I've got all this experience. I care about the situation. How could they not take my advice or my, uh, go with my choice or my method? Sometimes it's just pure pride that we want things done our way. And when it doesn't happen, it affects our pride. And again, we get angry. And then I think there's just finally a fourth reason, just like in, in Jonah's case, and that is self-image. I think all, many of us struggle with issues of self-image and low self-image and trying to project a, a better or bigger image than we really have of ourselves. And oftentimes when things don't go our way, it just reinforces, yeah, I'm just a nobody. Yeah, I am a loser, you know. I mean, honestly, when I was on that trip and all of these things kept happening, I just thought, you are just the biggest dork in the world. I mean... You know, anyone could drive one of these things and bring it back in one piece, but not you, you know, it always happens. I mean, so so sometimes it just our self-image causes us to be angry as well. But whatever the causes are, we need to guard against anger because when we become angry, it could cause us to do things or say things or think things that could be very hurtful and damaging to others as well as to ourselves. You know, marriages have been destroyed, churches have been split, business partners have been separated, all because people have not learned to control their anger when things don't go their way. You know, in reading Reading, Massachusetts, a guy by the name of Tom Yunta learned very sadly how rapidly things can be affected when you respond in an inappropriate way when things aren't going the way you want them to. He was at his uh, son's hockey match and he was watching this hockey game and he felt like players on the other team were becoming a little too rough and, and a little too hard on, on his uh, son's team, in particular on his son. And so after one episode where his son kind of got bumped to the ice, he, he yelled out at the other team members, hey, take it easy. You, know, you don't have to play so rough. Well, unfortunately, the parent of the guy who knocked his son down was on the other side of the ice and heard that and took offense and so ended up coming over and telling him to mind his own business and to shut his mouth. 
Well, Tom didn't like that. And so he ended up beating the guy up right there on the ice and literally beat him to death on the ice in front of all of those kids. Now, can you imagine? Obviously, that's an extreme case. But here we're at a hockey game and things aren't going the way you want them to go. And we know how some of those sports parents are out there. And it ends up leading to a deadly fight right there on the ice just because things didn't go his way. You see, we need to guard against anger because oftentimes that anger can spiral out of control and truly cause harm to us or those around us. But there's a second, a second response we need to guard against. Not only anger, this one becomes a little more personal, I think, and that is we need to guard against whining. We need to guard against being whiners. Look at what happens here in verse 2. It says here, not only did he get very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Can you imagine hearing Jonah say this stuff? It sounds so stupid. He's all upset and whiny about the fact that God's love is unfailing and that he's compassionate and merciful. And you always hold back from destroying people. And Jonah allowed himself to become a whiner. Because things didn't go his way. Ever been a whiner? Ever worked with a whiner? It's not very fun. Now, those of you who have small children in your homes or grandchildren accessible, you know exactly what whining is, don't you? Because you experience an awful lot of it. But just for those of us who don't have little kids at home anymore, I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd look up in Webster's Dictionary exactly uh, uh, a clinical definition of whining. And this is what Webster had to say. It's uttering a high-pitched, plaintive or distressed cry expressive of discontent or pain. So whining, it seems, always is high-pitched, kind of a plaintive or distressed cry expressive of discontent or pain. And that's exactly what, was, what Jonah was doing here. He was saying to God, I told you so. I knew you were going to do this. Why do you always have to save people? Why can't one of my big prophecies ever come true? Why do you always have to have your way, God? Come on. You know, I wanted you to wipe them out. You did. I mean, just whine, whine, whine. And that's something that we can all end up doing as well when things don't go our way, if we don't guard against that kind of whining. You know, have you ever caught yourself whining when things don't go your way? You know, when after church on Sunday, you've got your mind set on the Chinese buffet, but all the kids want to go to Taco Bell or something, uh, you know, you can end up whining about, come on. You know, we always go to those fast food restaurants. Why can't we, you know, uh, it's so easy for us to become whiners when things don't go our way. And we need to guard against becoming whiners because the truth is no one likes a whiner. And so we've got to guard against that. You know, when your wife wants to go to the mall with a loaded wallet and you say, honey, not a good idea. Come on. I never get time for myself. I never get away from the kids. You know, when you want to watch a game and, and just be alone and watch that game and, and your wife has a honey-do list and she wants you to mow. Come on, dear. This is my team. 
You know, I mean, we can so easily be whiners. And Jonah became a whiner. And that's not a pretty scene, particularly for adults. It's appropriate sometimes for kids. We can understand that. But when adults start whining, it really can become irritating. We need to realize that when things don't go our way, which they're not always going to go our way, we've got to guard against anger and we've got to guard against whining. But there's a third response we need to guard against, and that is we need to guard against a spirit of resignation. We need to guard against a spirit of resignation. When Jonah finally gets done whining to God, look at what he says in verse 3. This is the final outcome of how he responds when things didn't go his way. He says, God, just kill me now. Just kill me. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Can you imagine that? What Jonah finally, his final response is just a spirit of resignation. Okay, I quit. Now I'm done. You know, just kill me, God. I'd rather be dead than not have my way, than not have my prophecy come true. And look at how the Lord gently replies to Jonah. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? It's like, Jonah, what in the world is going on here? This is craziness. But because Jonah couldn't have his way, he just adopted this apathetic spirit of resignation that says, if I don't get my way, then I quit. If things aren't going to go the way I think they should, then I don't want to play anymore. And I know uh, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. Uh, this is one of the areas that I struggle with is just that whole idea. OK, well, if you don't want to follow my advice, if you don't want to go the direction I say, then forget it. I quit. I'm just not going to say anything anymore. I'll never give input again. You know, and we develop that kind of whiny, you know, um, and of course, we're seething the entire time. But. When things don't go our way on the job or at home or wherever it is, we can just adopt that spirit of resignation. And the problem is, if we don't learn to cope maturely and appropriately when things don't go our way, we'll always be quitting and we'll establish very unhealthy patterns that will keep us locked in our immaturity. You know, I've got to tell you, there is not a perfect job anywhere. There is not a perfect boss on planet Earth. There is not a perfect church anywhere on the planet, because if you're there, obviously it's not going to be perfect, right? I mean, it just makes sense. But sometimes when things don't go our way, we develop this whiny spirit of resignation and say, OK, well, fine, I quit. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's never an appropriate time to part company with a job or whatever. But if we develop this pattern of every time things don't go our way, we quit or we leave or we just adopt this spirit of resignation, that's a very unhealthy pattern to develop. And it's going to keep us locked in that kind of spiritual and emotional immaturity. We've got to learn that things are not always going to go our way. Instead of becoming angry, instead of becoming whiny, instead of adopting a spirit of resignation, we've got to learn how to cope in a positive and healthy way. Because if we don't, we're going to become like one of my favorite characters in a book, Alexander. I don't know if you've read this classic, but I'm going to read it to you right now. Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Because when things weren't going Alexander's way, he just wanted to quit. He just wanted to adopt a spirit of resignation. And so let's learn from Alexander very quickly here. Alexander says, when I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair 
And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car in his breakfast cereal box and Nick found a junior undercover agent code code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's, Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. Yeah, sounds like one of my drawings. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream cone part falls off the cone and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby, and while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took the pillow back he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. You know, I think like Alexander, who incorporated all of those responses, he was angry, he was whiny, and he adopted a spirit of, well, I'm just going to move to Australia where everything's perfect. But he learned that you have bad days even in Australia. Let me just share three action steps. And the first one is this. Let me just challenge you to have the courage to take some time this week to ask your spouse or a close friend, maybe ask one of your kids, if you're really brave, how they feel you respond when things don't go your way. You know, it's really fun to ask one of your kids, you know, how do you think dad handles it when things don't go my way? You know, when things aren't happening like that, how do I how do I respond? You'll get an honest answer from your kids. You'll get a much more accurate idea from them than trying to determine it yourself, because honestly, we're we're always much too nice to ourselves. 
And, and so we need to get that outside input. But just have the courage to ask others, co-workers or whatever, how do you think I respond when things don't go my way? Number two, identify with, your help, with their help maybe which one of these three responses is kind of your classic response. Maybe you cycle through all three of them. Who knows? But I, sometimes we have kind of our favorite response, and then we have our fallback response if that doesn't work. But, you know, are you a whiner? Do you just get angry? Do you just say, oh, I'm fine, I quit. I'm, you know, I'm fine, don't worry about me. Just spirit of resignation. And then thirdly, maybe take some time to consider what God might be trying to teach you when things don't go your way. And one of the ways I'd encourage you to do that is maybe just read Job chapters 40 through 42. Now, there's a guy who experienced a pretty terrible, horrible, no good, very bad life for a period of time. And yet he responded in a way that was truly appropriate. And I think we can learn from him. But maybe take some time to just read Job chapter 40 through 42. So let's pray that God would enable us to be people who respond appropriately, maturely, when things don't go our way, rather than these three negative kinds of responses that Jonah had. Let's pray. Father... We pray that you would help us to take the example of Jonah and learn from it. And that, Father, we would not be people who respond in these inappropriate ways. Father, help us to learn the lessons you have for us when things don't go our way. So that we might be shaped into the image of Christ. So that our character might be deepened and matured. And so that we might be an accurate reflection of you to the world around us who desperately needs to see how life really should be lived in a balanced way. Father, again, we thank you for your timeless and eternal truth and pray that it would take root in our hearts, that it might bear fruit that would change us and that would please you. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to join me in standing one more time as we receive our blessing and benediction from God's word. So let's pray together. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation, even when things don't go our way. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all and all of God's people said together, Amen.